I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Well, you'll be pleased to know that I'm back. Um, all my newfound Welsh rugby fans will be delighted as well and tuning in. Uh, I made it back from France safely um, via two trains, a couple of taxis, um, and I'm ready for this week's part two podcast. Uh, Steve Cording is with me in the studio. A second outing for you this, Steve. Um, how are you first? Yeah, I'm getting ready to uh, count my overtime, Lowell. Thank you very much. Uh, but it is it is nice to see you back. Um, we still want to know what the story is behind you wearing that Wales shirt. The uh, the picture has appeared on social media. There has been a lot of reaction. Um, was it a bet or were you brainwashed by Sarah Elgin? Well, I wasn't brainwashed by Sarah, but uh, and it wasn't a bet. But for those of you who know and followed my rugby career... Um, Wales are not the only team that begin with W. Uh, I actually played for Wasps. And of course, uh, the attack coach for Wales is uh, Alex King, my great mate. Uh, and the head coach for Wales is also Warren Gatland, who I spent many, many glorious years with, um, as well as the physio Prav and a number of other of the backroom staff. So I have a, um, a close affinity to, uh, to Wales. And do you know what it was? ITV um, took me out there and I just felt... Everyone keeps saying to me, How, how's it going in France? And I haven't actually been to France yet. I was in a <laughs> studio in Ealing um, on a green screen. So I haven't watched a live game and I really wanted to. Um, I'm due out there in the quarterfinals and I picked an absolute cracker because it was just a brilliant game. And I thought at the end of the game, um, it's a toss-up between wearing an Australian shirt or wearing a, French, <laughs> uh, a Welsh shirt. <laughs> uh, I thought if I wear a Welsh shirt, people might think I'm wearing a British and Irish Lions shirt. But uh, oh, you were trying to hide it. Oh, I, I see. There was meaning behind it, at least. But what, how was that experience, though? Because obviously you're saying that's you in France for the first mm-hmm. time. Did it feel like there was a World Cup on? It did. I mean, I've got to say, it's, it's always an amazing experience. And France deserve enormous credit for what they've done. However... There is, it's not straightforward in the stadiums. You know, getting in and out stadiums is not great. Um, I wouldn't like to say that the fan experience is, is the worst I've ever had, but it certainly is not easy. Um, I don't think they maybe anticipated how popular this tournament would be. I mean, there were thousands of Irish fans, you know, Welsh mm. fans, English, French. I mean, all four teams, and we'll talk about this later, are topping the, the pools in the World Cup. Um, but it's usual travel chaos. I mean, I... I know you'd like to conveniently believe that I overslept and missed my flight, but that wasn't actually the case. Are you telling me there was a Welshman called Lawrence, Lawrence Delalio who's actually sat in your seat on the way back then? Is that, is that why you couldn't get on your plane? All I'm saying is that there was no plane, and actually, I'm not the only one. There was quite a few flights cancelled back from France. So, mm. usual travel chaos, usual French response, uh, it's not our problem. Uh, shrug of the shoulders, puff of the cheeks. 
Um, so their team may be brilliant, but some of their logistics have got to leave a lot to be desired. Well, you are travelling again in a little bit later this afternoon, so we can't keep you or our special guest for too long because you're actually off on the fun bus this evening. Um, but there's a great old friend of yours, if you'd like to introduce him, who's on us with the pod today. Well, I mean, every guest is a special guest, but in this case, he's a very special guest. I'm delighted to welcome a good mate of mine onto the podcast. If I read out his list of achievements, I think we'll be here till the next World Cup. But suffice to say, he's been awarded just about every single accolade going in rugby. And to top it all, he's a thoroughly decent bloke. Uh, it's everyone's favourite fun bus. The man of the moment, of course, is Jason Leonard. Jason, how are you? I'm all right, love you. Enjoying the World Cup so far? Yeah, I've got to say, it's it's, uh, it's been quite exciting. Uh, haven't been over there yet, but uh, I hope to get over for some other, other games. It's been great watching some of the matches on TV. Uh, thoroughly exciting at this moment in time, and hopefully it can continue. Now, could I just say it is an honour and a privilege to be sitting with two England World Cup winners uh, in the same room, which is uh, something for me. But you two have obviously known each other for... God knows how many years. I would imagine it's more than half your life. But can you actually remember the first time that you met in a rugby context? Well, I, I can remember seeing Jason uh, at his own rugby club, actually, Barking. I played for Middlesex against Eastern Counties under-18s. And I thought it was... I mean, it was an, it's an amazing rugby club, Barking. And it's, it was a shrine to Jason, actually, because <laughs> I think every single uh, poster or jersey on the wall was his, quite rightly. Um, and he was holding court uh, at the the end of the bar and uh, I thought better of going to introduce myself because there was a long queue put that way to go and speak to him but uh, I think earlier Jason it's probably 93 when I when uh, I walked into the England team hotel which was the um, Petersham uh, in Richmond and I'd just been selected to be part of the squad I wasn't I hadn't played a game mm. and I walked in uh, and to be fair Jason <laughs> I mean in those days there was no money it was amateur um, I was just so excited to be picked for England and I wanted to get there, obviously, early, unwrap all my kit bag and just just look at my England kit. And I got halfway through the door. <laughs> Jason came over and he introduced himself. He went, you're Lawrence, aren't you? I said, yeah. He goes, I'm Jason. And I was like, well, yeah, I know who you are, but obviously, if you're going to introduce yourself. He goes, um, don't worry about checking in. You've got plenty of time to do that. He said, just pop your bags down. He said, we're just popping down the road for a little flyer. So I had my first big decision to make. Um, but obviously it was Jason, so I said, that's fantastic, obviously, put, my, put the bags down. So I arrived at the England team hotel without actually checking in, um, and Jason did pop down the road for a flyer, and uh, I nearly missed the team meeting the following day, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> we had a fantastic time, uh, and we've been uh, mates ever since. Um, so obviously it's uh, 20 years since uh, the... Fantastic day that we all remember, 2003, uh, when England won the World Cup. Um, I have to admit that I have cheated slightly to get my inside information using the uh, the Boys of Winter, which uh, fantastic book that Lawrence has written uh, with Owen Slot. Now, there's a lot in there. Uh, you, Jason, probably have more mentions, I think, than any other player. Um, Why am but, I not surprised? <laughs> yeah, what, but one of the things that fascinated me was, uh, uh, particularly on, you mentioned there about the Peterson Hotel, but obviously the England team moved uh, to Pennyhill Park. Were you two roommates straight away? Did you share a room? Um, I, I think at the very start, uh, Clive had us in single rooms. Yeah. Because that was a big thing. Because in the amateur days, even when Clive was playing, you shared a room. Now, <clears throat> when you've got two 
rugby blokes in a room. These mm. rooms are not very big. <laughs> And you're getting in each other's way. About as big as a studio, exactly. probably. Well, yeah. Yeah, a bit neater than this, actually. And um, so Clive, when he came in, said, no, we're not doing that no more. We used to do that when I was playing. So he took us somewhere else where he actually found out it was the All Blacks yeah. used to stay there. And he said, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Yeah. So he kicked them out. He literally booted out the All Blacks and said, we're staying there now. And it was a fantastic base for us. I think, we, in, I think in the early days, um, Clive wanted to create an atmosphere and an environment that was so good that everyone, you couldn't wait to get into your car and get mm. to England training. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Obviously, he's not shy of spending a pound, no, Clive. Um, Jason Robinson cost a lot of money. The Pen Pennyhill Park cost a lot of money and the budget was building up. And I think as we got to the World Cup, um, we were there for the best part of about three or four months of the year. And so, you know, rooming together, one, obviously, is good fun. And two... Need to save a bit of money, I think, because yeah. there's a lot of players there. Well, your your room was nicknamed the West Wing, is that right? Is that what 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 did you manage to get in there that got it called the West Wing? Uh, home comforts. Home comforts. Be, home comforts yeah. would be the uh, word. Yeah, I mean, we we spent the best part of nearly a year there, on and off. And uh, Jason and I were very lucky because we didn't live too far away. He was in Twickenham, and I was just up the road in Richmond. But we had a lovely man, Michael, who was the concierge, and you know, naturally, we just felt we needed to. Extend the room with a few, you know, a few little additions: fridge, microwave, yeah. television, coffee <laughs> bar, machine, coffee yeah. machine, yeah, exactly. All the things you'd expect at home, really. So uh, just to keep you nice and comfortable. Well, yeah. not just us. I mean, it, it ended up being a, a little bit of a uh, a focus point for yeah. players coming around that just want to get away and stuff like that. So they'll come to our room. Uh, we backed out actually because you had a nine old golf course, didn't you, at the back mm. of Penny Hill Park? We backed out on, onto one of the the holes. And uh, we had a little patio there and, dare say it, a couple of our guys, even in those those very early days of professionalism, still loved a, a cigarette or A bit or of two. a puff now yeah. and again. So it was a perfect place to go out there. Who was the worst defender of that? Phil no, Vickery, well, no, was that right? Fair, or? A little roll-up for, the, uh, for the, the little Gloucester front row men. Um, and they just... They used to come in and go, let's just see how the other half live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they enjoyed that. We had, we had great times there. Now, yeah. two, 2003 was your uh, fourth World Cup. Um, I just want to take you back to your first one, 91, uh, which I remember fondly. I was a student in 91. Obviously, it was largely based uh, in the UK, in England. However, having gone on the road to win in Paris, uh, a game that I drove to in my parents' car, they didn't know I was driving in my parents' car because they were away in Hong Kong. Um, so, and then the following weekend, drove up to Edinburgh to see you in the semi-final. My dad got back uh, after his trip away and he's an accountant. The first thing he did was he looked at the mileometer and he went, where the hell have you been That's for the last few weeks? That's because you needed one of Jason's mates just to sort that out, that mileometer. <laughs> to turn it back. Yeah, well, that would have helped. But Should I have driven backwards. Yeah. Should have <laughs> driven backwards. But then, obviously, we had the final at Twickenham, um, which England sadly lost 12-6. Now, I didn't realise until I read the book how much that actually affected you, that defeat, and also Brian Moore. So, clearly, it was something that affected you as a team. You, you obviously carried that through as motivation through to 2003. Um, yeah. I mean, at, at the time, in 19... One, it was very sharp in that aspect. Um, and for other players like Brian, it was even sharper mm. um, because some of the other players, even players a generation on Moro, they was never going to go to another World Cup. That was their last chance in that aspect. And it was a World Cup at home mm. as well. Um, Brian had the chance to go to another World Cup. He went to 95, he went to South Africa. But in South Africa, it was literally... 
the emergence of a young Jonah Lomu in that aspect, in the New Zealand side, and a fantastic South African team that was literally being cheered on by every single person in South Africa. So um, we we didn't really have a chance in 95. So I think when when you miss an opportunity like that, a life-changing opportunity, that hits you hard. And that, that hit me hard, more or harder, as I said. But um, I suppose as I, I, I knew I had other World Cups in me. So there was always another chance, always another chance. And by the time I think 2003 come along, we was the best team in the world. We, we hadn't really lost. We lost one game over, what, 18 months yeah. uh, playing against France away, uh, where we put out a second team, they put out their first team, and they only just beat us. <laughs> and um, again, it was just that it, it was there in the back, back of your mind. And, and also to tell the players as well, I've been here before. I've been in a World Cup final, and I know how painful it is to lose one as well. Mm. Was that the first, of, of the four? I mean, you mentioned '95 and '99. Uh, I guess those two, you never felt that confidence that you felt in 2003 that we could actually win this. I, I think again, once you pull on that shirt, you you think you can beat anyone, really. Mm. Um, but again, it, it's just some sometimes you have games like we we beat uh, an Australian side in '95 that was roughly, not completely, but more or less the side that beat us in 91. And we beat them in a quarterfinal. And maybe we thought we'd cracked it, really. Here we, here we go. Yeah. And then, we, then Jonah Lomu popped up. Yeah, and then, semi, so. yeah. then the semi-final, this bloke called Jonah Lomu come along and was a wrecking ball. And and that was our, our lot or something like that. I like, guess it was always probably destiny, though, that South Africa were going to win that yeah. tournament. And also, it? I think the thing for Jason is that I, I certainly start to read some of the some of the press in 2003, just before the final. And it, and for all those players who played in 91, they Jason represented something to them, you know, to be able to, I mean, obviously not completely change, you know, you can't turn back time, but I think by winning, strangely, I think that gave probably them a little bit of, um, you know, a chapter that they could close in there. In a little, yeah. Do you know what I mean? To a certain extent, because I think they felt that Jason being part of that team and actually extracting that revenge, albeit, of many years later was 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 a bit of a, a therapy for them. In, in yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm going forward then to 2003. Um, I mean, without dwelling too much on the officiating on the day, which obviously was questionable to say the least, and I think probably still frustrates the hell out of both of you. I mean, uh, clearly your experience on that day from reading the book, what, what you were able to do and to say, particularly to Andre Watson when you came on um, for extra time, uh, made a big difference. Now, everybody says that Johnny Wilkinson won as the World Cup, but did, was it actually Jason Leonard that won as the World Cup with a little word in the referee's ear? Um, I'm, I'm always going to say that is the case. Uh, in, in well, it, was, it was two Jasons. It was Jason Robinson and Jason Leonard. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> um, I, I, it's like anything else. The, the, again, the, the referee told us, let the game go. We... Thought he stuck to that for a good sort of, I want to say, 50, 60 minutes. And then all of a sudden, he, he changed. Uh, how he was refereeing the game changed. His attitude towards us changed. But that was awful, wasn't it, really? Well, because... Again, that was frustration mm. coming in from our point of view, yeah. uh, which was bubbling over, which he's very much a referee like that as well. He's he's a, he's a yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. Are you... You can't do anything in front of him. If you you query him, he, he he will that will get his back up, sort of thing like that. So you've got to go with the flow and approach him properly. So I'd I'd been telling Clive, and only because of the way the game was going, with about twenty minutes, fifteen minutes, ten minutes, 
every sort of five minutes, I was grabbing one of the guys on the on the on the side who were all mic'd up to the coaches in the box. And I was just literally getting their earpiece, going, like, just get get me in here. Get get me in the game. Get me in the game. And and I didn't get on with 20 minutes to go. I didn't get on with 15 minutes to go. I didn't get on with 10 minutes to go. Literally, by the time they then equalised, the whistle went and we all got together. And and Clive's got to go around to a few people. And he came up to me and he said, uh, he said, you're on. And I can't tell you what I exactly said to him, <laughs> but it was it was along the t- it was along the lines of it's about time. And and that was the thing. I just went on the pitch. Yeah. I saw Jono. I just said, Jono, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to push on their ball. We're not going to push on our ball. We'll just keep them up. Just keep the scrum nice and nice and square. It, it won't be a problem. Sometimes mm-hmm. as a referee and as a player, you need a change of voice and a change of picture. And referees always talk about this. You need to change the picture. I mean, he was getting bags of it I mean I actually for once in my life I actually kept my kept, uh, you know there's that famous De Niro face where I sort of <laughs> gave away the penalty but Jono was giving him absolutely pelters and Dorse was probably chipping in and he, was, he wasn't having any of it so Jason came in there and just went to him and just said Andre it all know, down. if there's any issues in the scrum speak to me that's, that's yeah. probably the most civil yeah. conversation an Englishman had had with him for about yeah. half an hour yeah so miraculously, he managed not to swear, right? Really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and it, and it was, and he actually said thank you. So he's under a lot of pressure, not only with the game and the, the thousands of people watching, millions around the world, yeah. but he's also got one of his own sort of marking his performance, whether it's good or bad, or yeah. get him out for the next World Cup. He's no good and all this. So he, he's got a load of pressures as well. So again, my approach was to come on the pitch and and just calm everything down and just say, look, sir. You know me. I go forwards. I go backwards. I don't go up and I don't go down in the scrum. You won't get any penalties out of me. And he actually said, "Thank you very much, Jason." I'm not sure I've seen you go backwards very much, Jason. But the, in fairness to, to to Andre Watson, at least the referee didn't decide the outcome of the game. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Staying on the theme of front row, Jason, um, the great wasp in England man, Paul Render, we lost him, sadly, to MND this June. Um, I think it'd be lovely just to, a few words about him. He was obviously someone that you looked up to along with the rest of that England front row and you spent quite a lot of the last few 
weeks of the, of his life with him, um, and uh, we really miss him, don't we? Yeah, I mean, uh, he was a character, and 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 he was just one of these guys. He, no matter where he where he would be, it, he could make he could generate fun, yeah. and he was one of these people that people would gravitate to because you knew wherever he was. There was fun. There was mischief going on. <laughs> there was something was going on. Something was going on. And for me, as as a young kid coming into the side early, he was very gracious when uh, when he realised that I was basically going to be taking his place, and he helped me a hell of a lot. But but even post his career, and we stayed close, and yeah. always catching up, and always a, a, a lunch here and a few yeah. drinks here and stuff like that. Even when we went round to his place in in Slough, and me and a, a few mates, we all helped him uh, relay his patio. And I mean, he, he loved he loved that because he was in a wheelchair by the time. But we put we and I, I remember sort of nearly thirty years prior to that, I remember him doing the original patio. Yeah. And uh, talk talk about what a pizza was. That was how you got paid in rugby in those oh, days. It was, it was, God knows uh, what was and, under that patio. And, and I've got to say this now. So, like thirty years later, you go there, and it's it's like all, oh, it's like uh, it's just a wash of sleeping policemen. So within like it's bumps everywhere. So within like that, so we had to dig it up. And, and and there's so much sand and there's so much concrete in there now. I've got to say that now, a, a plane from from Heathrow could land in his backyard. And it ain't gonna <laughs> it ain't gonna move that patio. I'll tell you that now. But it was just brilliant because, it, it, again, it was there for him. And people, we all wanted to do that for him in, in that aspect and, and the smile on his face. And he, every day he was having fun with us and stuff like that. Yeah. Was, but um, what, what I love special. as well about that team as well is, is the, they were proper nicknames, weren't they? So you've got the judge, you've got fun bus. You're not putting an E on the end no, of players' I, I, names. I always laugh because we used to always take the, we used to take the mickey out of the, the Kiwis. For their their sort of uh, nicknames, which wasn't too Fitzy's, in yeah, it? elaborate <laughs> and aspect. But, but then saying that we've got a Jono, we've got a Jono. So I'd, I'd, I'd always laugh. We'd always take the Mickey out of the, the Kiwi, saying, "Oh, cool, you're not really imaginative in that aspect." Then you go, "Hold on, we call Jono, Jono." So then like that is, it's not exactly rocket science in mm. that aspect. So, yeah. but going uh, back to 2003, then I mean, what, what would you say to both of you? Really, is I mean, what's your undying memory of that tournament because it was one where England were favourites to win um, but there were struggles along the way weren't they it wasn't as straightforward no, as just winning the game But our, our friend Joe Marler was sort of saying you know he's a friend of this podcast he's a good lad and I know Jason's you know helped him out throughout his career in the same way maybe Judge did but he was saying well, there's nothing wrong with winning ugly but we obviously went into that tournament as the number one side um, we knew that we had a really good chance of winning I don't think I've been involved in any World Cup before that, certainly where I felt, felt like we were going to win. Um, we were still going into the unknown. So we did make hard work of it for ourselves. I mean, we chucked 16 on the pitch. We got, <laughs> we, got we got all sorts going on. I mean, I think once we got through the South Africa game, uh, which was a tough game for us, um, it, we, you know, a bit like Ireland have just done, actually. Mm. Um, we felt like, right, that's it now. We can, we can go. Um, and then the quarterfinal against Wales was problematic but we, we we won comfortably in the end and I think just getting ourselves to a semi-final that is when I think for me everyone just chilled out didn't they just suddenly we got back to Sydney got back to Manly we'd beaten Wales comfortably and we were we knew we were playing France and all the actual all the press then you know turned towards France because they were brilliant apparently and uh, and then we just got in a happy place didn't do any training just chilled out 
And Clive trusted us eventually. It took him a bit of time. <laughs> he did trust us just to go, look, we're all, we're all okay. We'll get this right. And uh, we just had to get the job done, really. Mm. Um, good side, Australia. We've beaten them six times. And they actually played very well in the final for them against us. Um, we made hard work of it, but that's English sporting history, isn't it? We love it. We love a bit of extra time. We yeah, love drama. We certainly <laughs> do. I mean, was it was it the celebrations afterwards that you're going to remember the most, or was it winning that winning that winning moment when the ball went over the post from Johnny, or what, um, what picks out for you? I would say it is probably the changing room, isn't it? After the I, game, I would say the changing room. Yeah. I said yeah. when you look when you look around and you see the people that you're with. And mindful of the fact that that, that, that was a very tight squad. Yeah. Uh, we'd been through ups and downs as a team uh, for club and country. Yeah. And quite a few of the players in that room had uh, personal bereavement. They, they had other things going on in their lives and this. And we were, we were a tight group. We were there for each other. Yeah. And I think the nicest thing, I, I think, even though the... Seeing the ball go over is great. The, the the sort of celebrations afterwards, brilliant. Was actually being in that room and looking around that there's, I, I'm chuffed for him. I'm chuffed for Martin Johnson. I'm chuffed for Will Greenwood. I'm chuffed for Neil Back. I, and, I, and I know that those guys are also looking at me going, I'm glad that we've won this for Jace because of mm. 1991 and stuff like I think that. There it was, was that, that time. I think there, yeah, there was a realisation as well because we've been so tight for, for six years really, since 99, since 97. And Clive took over. And then we had all that disappointment, 99. But you knew that we only had about an hour together in the dressing room. Um, and there was tears. There was like laughter. It was every emotion. And you knew that when we walked out the door in about an hour's time, that team would never... Re well, maybe we didn't know that, but it was never going to be the same again. Because, mm. you know, some people retired, some people were injured. And you've just won a World Cup. And whether you like it or not, your life is never the same after that. Um, because everyone wants a piece of you immediately. So... I think it's just that moment, that memory of being together for, you know, and there was all the players who didn't get to play, who were, you know, who, who'd given a lot to England, all the coaches, all the backroom staff, and it was it was good. And look, we were world champions at celebrating long before we won the World Cup. We were kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and and two, two of the leaders were of that particular charge are sat here with you now. But I mean, it was, uh, we were very good at that. It was just nice to have something we could really celebrate. And I don't think, you know, Jason and I were thinking, so many England fans out there but what you hadn't really appreciated is what was going on back home because yeah. for you I don't know if you were there but 10 o'clock in the morning in your local rugby club yeah. you know drinking pints of Guinness with the full English and watching your team win and you know let's hope that we can have those feelings again it won't be 10 o'clock in the morning but no, it, might, was... and it might be might be Ireland it might be England it might be France who knows yeah, it yeah. might be Wales there's so many good performances yeah, normally, normally you, get, you get a right load of ear roll if you're having drinks at 10 o'clock in the morning yeah. <laughs> but that way you got away with it uh, but one thing I mean you talk about you being a, a tight-knit group uh, obviously 31 great members of that squad yeah. is, is it slightly disappointing for both of you that of that 31 only Richard Hill now is on a permanent RFU contract and nobody else is involved. Jason, you've obviously had your time as as president um, of the RFU, but do you feel like they should be leaning more on you to I, help I, going I, forward? I think previously, maybe. I know Clive, funny enough, was yeah. back in the day, was talking about ex-players like, at the time and how would, would, would they make it into coaching? Could he help them in the coaching in, in that aspect. I think he he sort of earmarked a couple that, that could be possible coaches. And I suppose once Clive had then Moved on, left, yeah. 
and moved on, then that that idea really left with him in that aspect. So I, I think back in the day, I think it would have been uh, a very positive thing to do. Mm. Uh, obviously, as you get further, further, away, further from it, away from it, less so in that aspect. But yeah, no, I, I think it's something that we could have done better. But But again, there's so many aspects. I mean... I think sometimes you sometimes you put so much into winning it, which we all yeah. do, that you just you just can't do that again. You know what I mean? I promise you well, now, it's like I've heard Long say it a couple of times. Yeah. It's it's you put so much in, and you you achieve that, but you don't actually think about what's happening after that because yeah. you, you're so caught up in that, and you've, it's taken you so much to get there yeah. as well. But how many times do we sit down and go right? What are we doing after this now? And I think we sort of said that from 2003 to 2007, yeah. didn't we? In, I mean, no, no, none of us had a sabbatical. I mean, common sense would have said, why don't you just take a year off? And you well, know, you went straight back to playing, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, so. and and so did Jason, and we both Follow played. Him, in we? The, yeah. And the Six yeah. Nations after that, um, but also the following summer, we went down to New Zealand and Australia and got battered by 50 points in three test matches, which is not really the way it should be. So, I think there's. You know, and, and there's been one or two. Martin Johnson was given the coaching job, but without any support mm. around him. So I think you do feel, I mean, I, I know Jason shares this with me. I, England have been in two finals since then. I was involved in one in my last game for England, and then we lost again in Japan. That doesn't give us any pleasure to watch an England team lose a final. No. I, I, we're of all of the same camp that we want other players to share that experience and to have that, that, those feelings that we had. And that's the biggest disappointment I suppose or the legacy is that we and you can't you can blame the RFU you can blame players you can blame a whole load of people but we should have kicked on and we should have built on that we're not we haven't got exclusivity to win every title because Ireland France and Wales and Scotland and Italy are good sides but we should have won a few more there's no doubt about that yeah well two of the legacies that you have created are the fantastic charities that you both um, are involved with the Atlas Foundation obviously Delalio Rugby Works now you're both off in the next five minutes to go on the fun bus to help raise some more funds. Uh, first of all, um, how do I get an invite to the fun bus? Um, what goes on there? And But secondly, and more importantly, uh, how proud of you of the work that you've, you've done with your charities? Uh, firstly, you're not invited. Yeah. Yep. You, might uh, kid, you might be kidnapped <laughs> if you're not invited. <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, can't really tell you what goes on. On, oh, Worms on, on the fun bus, bus stays on the fun, on bus. fun bus. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but it is, it, it's, it's just a, a great, it's a great idea to, to help charities yeah. raise money. And, and all charities are screaming out at this moment. So I'm all charities, great charities. Lawrence's charity is a great charity. Atlas Foundation is a great charity. So if we can do stuff to, that helps our charities, but helps other charities as well, then yeah, we, we're, keen to, to do that I mean for some reason this, Jason's created this aura around him that everyone wants to, to pay money to go out and have a drink with him so, <laughs> so, no, so uh, if, if we can include uh, you know I was never too far behind him so uh, we, you know listen it, it, Atlas is a global charity that, that does amazing projects all around the world for underprivileged kids and uses rugby as a force for good Rugby Works is a similar charity that uses rugby as a force for good to help young people turn their lives around in the UK so we, we've got a good fit together um, if they can survive a, uh, a tour, a trip on the fun bus with me and Jason, they can survive pretty much anything in life. And let me tell you <laughs> Get through that. <laughs> so it will be good fun. Um, if you um, if you uh, put a bit of money in both charities, you might find you, you might get a... Oh, I might get an invite then. You might get a little yeah. email invite. Is there any ambitions left for you now um, that you want to get either back involved in the game or is there anything different? Have you taken up cycling or was that, that that's in the no, book that he's just taken it up he's been president that? of the RFU yeah. he's been chairman of the Lions he's, you know, he's, he's done he's pretty much uh, he's pretty much done it all really so, yeah I've uh, got no no intention to do cycling like like him and, yeah. and Jono and stuff like that I mean my backside on a racing 
Saddle is not a pretty soft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, not not sure we've got not, enough saddles, mate. It's not a razor blade to me. That is. So, so no, definitely not. Well, Jason, we've been asking all of our guests um, the same question. Um, who do you think, now that we're, we're moving towards the business end, who do you think will make it to that final in Paris? Um, and if I had to put you on the spot, I know your heart says one thing, probably the same as me, but who do you think will win it? So who do you think will be in the final? Um, and who do you think will win it? Because it's not as easy a question as if you asked us before the tournament, you'd have one answer, but actually it's been a moving, there's a lot of moving parts. France with all these injuries, mm-hmm. you know, South Africa now they've lost a the game. Can they come back? Ireland, you know, I hope they might win it, but after they've just beaten South Africa, you might start to believe they can now. I mean, this and England and Wales who have come from nowhere. Everyone's you know, looking at them, but I mean, there's so many different parts yeah. to it, isn't there? I, I, I think before, before the tournament kicked off, I, I was thinking France, New Zealand. Mm. Even I was actually think, thinking in that, <clears throat> excuse me, that that opening match, yeah. um, New Zealand would have over France, yeah. and then actually that sends them the other way around. They meet in the final. And I, I was thinking France would have them in the final with the emotion and the home crowd and stuff like that. Is that and is that changed now? Um, it probably has. Well, a little bit. <laughs> when, when you saw South Africa smash the All Blacks yeah. at mm. Twickenham, and obviously France beating New Zealand. So I'm a little bit like you. I've got to say this now. The way I'm looking at it is I'm looking at, and I've got to say this, they're, they're, they're one that me and you would support anyway because of yeah. the British and Irish Lions and stuff like that. I would love to see a home nations team, yeah. Northern Hemisphere side win it, but especially yeah. England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, obviously because we're yeah. very proud of Do you of think that. there's a few parallels with that Ireland team? Because I was reading a statistic that they, they are the number one side in the world, mm-hmm. but yet we couldn't go under the radar as the number one side because everyone wanted to talk about it. But Ireland seems to have arrived at this World Cup. They are, they've lost, I think, two games in the last 35 or something. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's an unbelievable, similar yeah. to what, what yeah. we were. And, and we went on and won the World Cup. And I think if people really, truly appreciate what they've done, it looks like if they, they, could, if they get through New Zealand, which is, well, they've got to get through Scotland first, mm. but if they get through and they win the group, mm. there's no reason... Would no. we have won the World Cup without Johnny Wilkinson? I keep saying, we're not mm. sure, but we're, luckily we didn't have to find out. Oh, yeah. um, can they win without Johnny Sexton? Not sure, but hopefully they don't have to find out. I, I've got to say, I, I'm liking the look of this Irish team because they know how to win a game. They've got a bit of old school yeah. dog, yeah. like amateur rugby players. Yeah, you have a look at some of those boys there that have been around a long time. With they, they, they've got a load of knowledge, yeah. Yeah, load of knowledge how to win games, edge out games. Peter Mahoney, yeah, people, and, and we were similar in that aspect. We just yeah. knew how to win a game in that aspect, depending on what the weather was, the condition yeah. was, whether he was playing well. The referee, as we said, yeah. the referee takes a, a big chunk of that as well. So I, I've got to say, I'm I'm hoping that they're they're going to be there in that aspect if they can carry on. The the difference we had, and you sort of half alluded to it, is don't you remember? I think it was prior to the World Cup where. Um, Clive said, he said, look, we're the best team in the world. I can't go into team in, in, into the press conferences anymore and lie through my teeth and say, we're mm. the underdogs. He said, mm. I feel two-faced. Yeah. He said, so I'm now going to start saying, you're right, we are the favourites and we do expect to win today, which yeah. really set sort of everything off, really, because yeah. everyone was saying, oh, here we go and all this. But he said, I can't lie no more, sort of thing like that, where I don't think Ireland's had that pressure at no, this moment no. in time, but I think they will do now because I think if you have a look at that game 
at the weekend. Every week now. That's what everyone's saying. Win it, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because you, you both mentioned it as well and, and blogs even started wearing a Welsh shirt. But I think we all we all feel that need for either a, another UK winner Listen, or they, a Northern Hemisphere no one, winner, no don't we? No one admitted it at the time, but I know that there were Scots, Welsh and Irish all, all, all cheering England to beat Australia in that World Cup final. Now, whether they wanted to admit it to their families or not, I don't, I don't really care. But, well, Keith Wood said it to you, didn't he? Of course, he? Yeah. Because, because at that time, it's... It's a, it was a North v South thing, Southern Hemisphere, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Right, Lawrence, uh, we need to revisit the highlight of the weekend from you. It's uh, time for you to choose your big match moment. The big match moment with the Samsung Galaxy Tab S9 Ultra. Bring the big match to an expansive display. It's just an incredible weekend of rugby, really. Um, first of all, a big shout out to the fact that all four Northern Hemisphere teams are, are leading the pools. Um, Clearly, the Ireland-South Africa match was the match of the weekend in terms of the result, the intensity, everything in that about that. And if there was a moment just before that game, I think it was the Peter O'Mahony team talk uh, out on the pitch, which certainly got the uh, Irish team and pack fired up for what was uh, an absolutely brutal test match. But really, I thought the performance, relatively speaking, of the weekend came from Wales. I'm all about the Welsh this weekend. I don't know what's come over me. You are. Did you actually learn any Welsh while you're out there? Can, can you? Can you? Can you <laughs> I think there might be some. I'm, I'm not worried about wearing the Welsh jersey, but there might be some footage of me singing, <laughs> singing some Welsh songs, which could be really, really uh, worrying. But uh, look, there was some. I mean, forty points to six, um, an amazing performance. Um, I thought the uh, the individual performance of Anscombe, who came on for bigger, was exceptional. But actually, what epitomised. Uh, the Welsh performance was Jack Morgan. <clears throat> I know I'm not, I know I'm biased, and I know he's in the back row. But what a captain! What a player! Um, and there was a moment in that game where he uh, picked up a line out, a loose line out throw off the back of the line out, wearing seven, not eight, um, and instinctively he just put boot to ball. And I think it was just an enormous kick. It was a fifty twenty two bounced just outside the twenty two. I mean, he was deep in his own twenty two, so it was an enormous kick. Um, and obviously, he put that little bit of swerve on the ball and it just rolled into touch. And it felt like a defining moment in that game because I don't think Australia scored another point after that. Um, and they were well and truly battered. And I just think that young man has been, for me, one of the standout players of the tournament so far. And uh, he ain't finished yet. So that is my moment of the match. Excellent. Well, game by game, we're getting ever closer to seeing who is going to make it through to the quarterfinals. It's a weekend off for England, but we'll be back next week when Sarah will be with us too. But for now, my thanks to Jason, my thanks to Steve, and of course, thank you to you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Right, Jason, it's time for you and I to get on that fun bus. All aboard. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.